Hello there. Welcome to another edition of the Mixtape Podcast, the podcast dedicated to examining film from a screenplay writer's perspective. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Inestrosa, joined as always by my fellow co-host and the woman that makes me bear a psychological cross for reasons, Dean Stark. And on today's edition of the show, we'll be talking about the 1973 film Soylent Green. So as we do every week, I will turn the show over to Dean so she can start to take us down a timeline of this interesting film. You know, it's weird because a lot of people don't even know what the fuck this movie is. And I'm like, what? It's like such a cult movie. I don't know. Maybe it's like a horror thing. I don't know. But it's such a cult movie. Um, so Soylent Green, 1973, directed by Richard uh, Flee Fleischer. Can't pronounce the name. Sorry. Screenplay by Stanley R. Greenberg. A nightmarish, furistic. Oh, fuck, let's just start that again. Let's <laughs> just fucking take two a nightmarish futuristic fantasy about the controlling power of big corporations and an innocent cop who stumbles on the truth this movie could be a parallel of what the world is going through now you know what i've seen this movie before and when i watched it again i was like god damn that could happen like honestly it's not it's not far off that this could fucking happen, right? And I know some people who have seen this movie goes, that would never happen. It's like, yeah, but some of the shit that's gone down in the world you think wouldn't happen, and it happened. So this movie, I'm like, you know what? It could fucking, obviously, it's set in 2022 and we're past that. But, like, I don't know. I feel like in the future it could fucking happen. So I really like the opening scene of this movie because it's just photographs. And I think it go. it's like a timeline of photographs from the 1900s till now, which is, which is basically 2022, but they filmed it in 1973, so it doesn't look like 2022, but it's supposed to be 2022. <laughs> so it's 1973, but it's 2022. Um, and I like it because it goes through the industrial age, the progression of the world, cars, how cars have changed, how fashion has changed, um, steam engines, like all that stuff, which I found really cool. And it it brings you up to the point that we are now in the movie, which is basically not very good. I mean, it comes up on the screen. The year is 2022. We're in New York City, which is my favorite city, by the way. Um, and the population is 40 million. Now, just to give everybody a gauge, right now, the population in New York is 18 million. So you can imagine New York with 22 million more people in it. I mean, it's just, and it looks it, it looks overcrowded. It looks poor. People are sleeping on staircases. People are sleeping in the streets, in their cars. Their cars don't work. Um, they're, they're dressed in rags. Like it's just, everybody's poor as shit. Nobody cares. Government doesn't care. Um, they're scrounging. Like you can just, just in that opening shot when it says 2022 New York City. I mean, you can see this is what the world has come to. This is like, you know, poor as shit. So what did you think just of that, like the the pictures and of the opening scene and stuff like that? What do you think of that? I thought the opening scene of this movie was very, very effective because from the get, 
the director does a great job of immersing you in this po in this post-apocalyptic world where food is scarce, the government doesn't give a shit like you said, and overpopulation is at an all-time high level. This movie was really, really effective for me, and it also scared the ever-loving shit out of me because, like you said, when people watch this movie who aren't who don't necessarily watch it with their brain on. This could actually possibly happen because we are getting to a point in our society where at some point overpopulation is going to become a problem. And if overpopulation truly becomes a problem, what is to say that our government wouldn't do or my government, not your government or my government wouldn't come up with this with a with this with a set of laws to 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 do certain things to sort of chop the population in half. Not because they want to, but because they have to. So, so, so this movie, although entertaining and fun to watch, it kind of scared the shit out of me. Yeah, to be honest, I think my government would do it before your government. And I say this in the most lighthearted way possible because I do love my people. Australians are more likely to fall in line than Americans. Americans kind of have that fighting spirit. Well, they'll, they'll fight back against something that they don't like. They've got, they've got balls. Basically, I Americans are gobbles. Australians are more go with the flow. So I think, I think Australians are more likely to fall into line than Americans are. I mean, I could be wrong. The one thing that I found really interesting, and I have to acknowledge that this movie was made in the seventies. The wardrobe was very colorful and it popped, and I really liked that. But to me, it was very, very sort of off-putting to see an officer of the law in random street clothes. I'm like. Uh, you're a cop and you're in random street clothes. But as the film goes on, I would think if you're a cop, the government would give you certain uh, benefits for being a person of the law. But in this movie, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, wh- whether you do a job for the government or not, you have the clothes that you have and that's the clothes that you have to work in. So I also found that to be very, very interesting to to show you even a, even a member that even a person that is a part of the government is treated like is treated as a lesser person to an extent. Yeah. I found that interesting too, um, because our lead character, Charlton Heston, he is a detective and that the cops are just not respected. The, the cops are as poor as everybody else. I mean, he even says later on, like the only reason he does it is because of, is because of the small amount of money that he gets to allow him to have this, like this roof over his head that's basically lives in a shoebox because nobody takes the law seriously anyway. Nobody abides by rules or cops or anything like that. But I found this interesting. So while we've got, while we're, we're looking at the streets of New York and it's overpopulated, people are sleeping in the streets. There's a, there's a speaker system and this voice comes over the speaker system. The streets are prohibited to non permits in one hour. And that gave me chills because that that happened here during the last two years. And I was like, fuck. Like that's what that's what I mean about this movie. It's not far off from what the government can do to its people. And a lot of other countries around the world did actually experience this. And it's like, oh, that's that's and you see people scattering to go inside. Like if you don't hold a permit, you can't go outside. Like that's fucking scary as shit. So anyway. We get an introduction to um, Detective Thorne, which is Charlton Heston, and he lives in like a bloody, he lives in a 
shoebox. It's 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 just got shit everywhere. It's it looks hot. Um, the one thing that that I did enjoy with this movie is that he keeps talking about how hot it is. He keeps talking about it's 80, 90 degrees, which um, in Celsius is about th- between like 30 and 40 degrees Celsius. Um, but what, like, I wanted to ask you what you thought about this. In every single scene, he looks sweaty. He, it looks like everybody is hot. It looks like you just, you go outside and it's just hot. In every single scene, he's like got sweat o- and everybody, everybody has sweat all over them, which I thought was a really nice show don't tell kind of thing. I really, I, I, I noticed that too. And I really thought that that was a great job done by the production designer or, or, uh, or, or, or the makeup department in this movie to, to, to keep up that continuity through all the scenes in the movie, because a lot of movies, a, a lot of post-apocalyptic, a, a lot of post-apocalyptic movies do things like that. Like they, they'll put artificial sweat on actors, but a lot of, big movies like that forget to keep up the continuity from scene to scene. So it was very impressive to me that the people working on this movie cared that much to keep the continuity of him constantly having sweat on his body in some fashion as he went through the movie. So I really, really enjoyed that. Yep. So the next, uh, so we've got an introduction to to Detective Thorne and we've got exposition now because he gets up. The first thing he does is he turns on the TV. I like this exposition. It's, it's information that the audience need to know, but it's not in your face. It's not someone standing there going, Oh, blah, 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 blah. It's just randomly turning on the television. And when he turns it on, there is a, a news broadcaster and he's talking about all the Soylents, Soylent Red, Soylent Yellow, which he explains are food alternatives. And then there's Soylent Green, which is like the most popular out of all the Soylents. Now, Soylent Red, Yellow and Green, they're basically square um, pellets of, of food alternatives. And, you know, he says Soylent Green is made out of plankton from the oceans. It's the most popular. It's the one they keep running out on. And don't forget, Tuesday is Soylent Green Day. So Tuesdays are the days that people can go and get. So that's when it's available. That's how messed up this, the whole world is. It's like only on Tuesdays can you get um, Soylent Green. Now, the reason that there are all these food alternatives is because scientists basically poisoned a lot of the ocean, poisoned the soil so they can't grow anything, they can't farmers can't farm anything. There's no fish, there's no meat, there's nothing. So scientists basically destroyed food sources, everything that people eat. And so they have to eat this soylent stuff and the soylent company is a government company. So the government is is making these soylent red, yellow and green alternatives for for people to eat, which I thought was interesting. So that's all, that's all set up. That's all beautiful. Um, so anyway, Soylent Green, it's popular. It's so popular. It's in short supply. And yeah. So what did you think about the exposition on the TV telling, telling us this is what's going on? I really thought the uh, uh, exposition on the TV was extremely effective because like you said, if you're going to do exposition, there are a couple ways not to do it. Don't if you need to do exposition, try not to force it down your audience's throat. But the a clever way to do exposition is to do exposition, but put it in the background. Have the exposition going on in the background, and and in the 
and and in the front have your actors doing something else or carrying on a conversation with the exposition quietly in the background. And the way that they did it in this movie was fantastic. It was perfect because the exposition was there, but you had other stuff to focus on as well. If you weren't necessarily that intrigued with hearing the news report on the TV that was running while Charlton Heston was shaving himself. I really, I really like the fact that in this movie, the scientists killed the planet. Because normally, when scientists are depicted in post-apocalyptic stories, they try to do something good, but end up doing something awful. And in this movie, it feels like they try to do something awful just to do something awful. And Mm. it's their fault. It's their fault that the planet is the way it is. Also, I thought it was a very, very cool, interesting uh, continuity uh, thing. Every time you went outside, the the uh, the camera was tinted green. So I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Like 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 to like like to to sort of signify how fucked up the ozone layer was. Every time yeah. we were outside, every time we were outside, the 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 it looked like pollution. Know, yeah, yeah. The the image was green. It looked yeah. it looked like pollution. It looked like mm. this. It was it was gross. So I really like some of the I really enjoy some of the choices that the writer and the director made in this film. I really do. Yeah, I liked it too. I thought that they did really well. So Charlton Hess's character, Detective Thorne, he's getting ready. And like Marcelo said, the TV's on in the background, so you can listen to it or not listen to it. Or you can watch Charlton Heston. And what he's doing is he's shaving and then he's wiping his face and then he's he's got a rag and he's wiping himself and you realize oh my god he doesn't have a shower and he doesn't have running water it's like wait what like you know people are poor but it's like wait they don't have running water and he lives with a flatmate named soul and he's an old guy and he's a guy that he used to work with at the precinct um and he's kind of the brains so thorn will come in and tell him something and this guy's like the researcher he'll go research stuff and sort of helping him help him out on cases and then the electricity starts to go out and Sol jumps on a bike and starts pedaling. And then the electricity comes back on and you're like, oh my fucking God, what? So you have to pedal for electricity and you have no running water like that. Again, showing us how derelict and how far the world has gone and not telling us. Like everything you need to know is kind of enveloped about how poor they are. And he's like Marcelo said, he's a police officer. Shouldn't he have perks? Shouldn't he have government perks? No, he doesn't. Everybody is the same. If you don't have money, and we'll see how the other half live in a second. If you don't have money, doesn't matter what job you have, you're nothing. You're basically like a piece of shit. I really loved that scene where when the when the when the lights start when the, when the light bulb starts flickering in their apartment, Saul gets up from the table and he goes over to the the bike and he starts pedaling for electricity. I thought that I thought that I. I just love that image of seeing this poor old guy have to pedal for electricity. I thought it was a great way that the direct, that the director visually showed the audience, like you said, how fucked up this world is and how ass backwards it is. It, it was just it was just a really striking image. I thought. I mean, not the not the worst image that I saw in this movie. We're going to get to that later on, but for me, for some reason, that image really hit me uh, uh, when it showed up. Yeah, it really just showed how, like, messed up everything is. 
Uh, so we're moving on. We get a shot of outside. And again, you see homeless people. Like when I say everywhere, it's not like you walk down the street now and there's like maybe one or two people. No, they, they're fucking everywhere on the street. Like you can't walk down a street without like tripping over someone. There's, but there's 40 million people in like this fucking New York, right? There's, there's, it's just, it's dirty. It's disgusting. And then you see this guy and he gets, he, he sees another guy that's got glasses on and, and he's got a suitcase and they get into a car and this guy opens his briefcase and he hands him a, at first I thought it was a crowbar um, because it looks like it, but it's actually, um, it's actually a tool carpenters use to get carpets up. Cause I was like, is that a crowbar? And I had to research. I'm like, oh, okay. But it, it looks like a crowbar. It's got that hook thing on the end and you, and then it goes to the next scene and you're like, what the fuck? Does that have any relevance to anything? It, like it's actually, yeah, it's actually, it's actually um, a prying tool to get carpets up. It's actually the tool that the, that the Riddler used to kill the open the the congressman in the opening scene of the Batman. It's a it's, it's a much more older version of that tool. Right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. Um, so there's that little scene, and it it does come back. That's kind of like a, a a setup to a scene that comes later. But the next scene I really like. So now we get to see how the other half live, how the people that have money live, and it is a drastic difference to the world that we've seen. Um, these are the rich people. These people live in penthouses. They've got aircon. They've got running water. They've got hot water. They've got food. Um, they've got couch, beautiful couches to sit on. They've got beds, sheets, silk pillowcases. Like they've got everything that you could ever fucking want. Um, and, which I thought was, yeah. And they yeah. have hookers. And yes, yes, they have hookers. So, and we meet one that, right now. Yeah. I, I just want to say something. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll save it until you ask me what I thought about that. Go, go ahead. I'm, I'm going to save it. Go ahead. All right. So now we meet Cheryl and she's playing a, like an arcade game in this beautiful, rich apartment. Um, it's, it, it's like a loft kind of, and it's spacious and it's clean and blah, blah. And she's talking to an older man and you don't know who he is. You don't know who she is, but you know, they're in kind of like a relationship because she's like thank you for buying me this is there anything i can do for you she kind of looks at him with like sexy eyes and you're like oh okay are they married are they like you kind of don't know what's going on um but what we what we find out is shirl is in this in the rich people's apartment blocks when men move in uh, there's a, there's a woman living there, which is Cheryl in every other, in every apartment, there's a woman and they're kind of like, they're, they're kind of like hookers, uh, slash maids slash butlers. They do everything the men ask them to do. And the reason they do this is because the perk they get is basically living the lux- luxurious life. Otherwise they'd be poor. So I get it because I wouldn't want to live how detective Thorne is living. So I do understand. I wouldn't necessarily call it prostitution it's just it's a job like it's a living it's like the the men come in you marry they marry them and you know they make them food they make the bed they clean they cook they you know they do the sexual thing as well but they they do everything and they do it because they don't want to live like shitty lifestyles which if i was in that situation i would probably do the same thing i need running water i don't know about anyone else i need a shower i need a fucking toilet i couldn't live without a toilet i'd be like listen Listen, I'm go- I'll bang anyone you want me to bang. Just give me a fucking toilet and a shower. That's all I ask for. Yeah. Um. Look, I, 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 I really, I, I, I am a supporter of of. Hey, if you 
if you want to be a sex worker, be a sex worker. I don't, I, I support women who want to do that. But the thing that really pissed me off about this scene is that the guy that she's with and several guys throughout the movie refer to her as furniture. And I'm like, motherfucker. I'm like, motherfucker, this woman is a human being who's trying to take care of you. She's trying to do a job and you refer to her as fucking furniture. You motherfucker. Oh, that pissed me off so much. So disrespectful. So disrespectful. But, yeah, but the, yeah, but you do. You did mention because these people have money, they can get all the amenities that they want. They can get running water. They can get alcohol. They can get food. They can get anything. So it really, really sort of scared the shit out of me that this government in this movie still operates by the still operates by the credit that. Our world kind of operates by, and it, yeah. it is basically this: if you have money and if you have connections, you can get anything you want, and also yep. you can break all the rules. Yep, yep. And <laughs> I and I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that the that the system in this movie is broken and it's not fair because yeah. because that's the way that it would be if this yeah. actually went down. That's the way it is. <laughs> It's not fair. It's just not as as intense as, as it is bad, in the movie. Yeah. yeah, no, no, it's not as bad, but it is like that now. Um, so anyway, um, that there's a tall, a very tall man that walks in, and he's the bodyguard. He's the, we we don't know who he's the bodyguard of. We don't know why these people need bodyguards yet, but he takes Cheryl to basically get food. And I love this scene because again, it's showing, not telling. So it's that they go, it's not even a supermarket. It's, it kind of looks like if you're in a jail and you're going to get like commissary or something, <laughs> like that's kind of what it looks like. And so it's Cheryl a, goes, a, mm. it, it, it looks like an evidence locker. Yeah, 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 yeah. It looks like an evidence locker. So she goes to get food and the guy puts the food that she gets on the table and he says, that's $279. And you're like, what? And I actually paused it because I'm like, wait, what is $279? So check this out. This is how bad it is. And I, I love it because it just shows everything. For like five things, right? One lettuce, two tomatoes, a leek, three jars of who knows what. $279. Like literally that's it. And I was like, fuck. So you can see why people are poor. They can't afford food. They can't afford... Like, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And, and then she says, did you get it? Did you get it? And he's like, yeah, of course I got it. And so he takes her around the back and he opens like a fridge and you see a big like slice of steak. And he's like, look at that. And you're like, and again, it's showing you, oh my God, there's no animals. Like, like beef is rare. Nobody eats beef. Beef is like, what is like fucking caviar. <laughs> like, and you're like, oh my God. Like, can you, can you imagine? Because obviously when you go to the supermarket, everything's there. You can buy beef, you can buy chicken, you can buy lettuce, whatever. But like living like that, like, oh my God, it's just, but I really like that scene. What did you think about that scene and how it kind of pushed the story forward and the information that it gave us? I thought that's I thought that scene was very very wonderful because if you're sitting at home watching this movie and you still don't really understand how bad it is this scene of this young woman going to essentially a police locker to get portions of food is fascinating because the the other thing that this scene does is it really it really drives home um 
I'm trying to figure out how to say this. This scene really drives home the fact that there is a food sh- there is a there is a food shortage for a particular reason. It also it also lays a hat on the ground as to the the reason why the food is so expensive. When we get to the end of the movie, that makes a lot of sense. So I thought that this scene on the surface uh, seemed unimportant, but later on, this scene this scene uh, uh, played so. Uh, had so much more importance when you find out why the government is making these foods so expensive and why yeah. and, 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 and and why it's so hard for them to why it's so hard for them to generate these supplements or so they say yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I thought I thought the scene was just great. Yeah, because it just shows you. It's like, fuck, like, is that what the world's going to get to? Where it's like lettuce and like two tomatoes is like 200 bucks? Like, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's getting that way. I'll tell you, I went to get, what was I think it was a fucking peach or a nectarine. I think I got, I, I picked up two. I didn't look at the price because like, it's fucking fruit, right? Two nectarines. No, was it peaches? Who fucking knows? They'll just say they're peaches. I, I put them on the counter and she's like, yeah, that's $12. I'm like, for what? Like, there was six bucks each. Like, fucking hell. Like, unbelievable. I just, and I'm like, fuck, this is Soylent Green shit. Like, that's what it's getting to. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, so the next scene, we see the guy with the crowbar again. And he basically breaks into the rich girl's apartment loft. And the old guy, the old guy sitting there, I think he's like sipping whiskey and he walks in with the crowbar and the, the old guy doesn't, he, it's like, he knows, he knows, he knows what's going on. He's not even, he doesn't try to run or anything. He doesn't, he just sits there like he knew it was fucking coming. And the guy with the crowbar says, they wanted us to, they wanted me to tell you, you've become unreliable and they can't risk having a catastrophe. And so then he just, the guy, sit, the old guy just like knows he's just not even going to try to fucking defend himself. He knows he's, he can't run it. There's no way he can run. Um, and then the guy, you know, hits him over the head, kill, kills the old guy. Um, and again, you're sitting there like, okay, you don't even know who this old guy is. You find out later, but you don't know who he is. And so you're like, what the fuck is this movie? So now they call in Detective Thorne. So he comes into it and they, they call him to investigate the murder. And I think this scene is so funny because he's so unprofessional. But it's kind of like, take what you can fucking get. So yeah. he's walking around this rich, rich loft, mm-hmm. and, he, and he he's, takes everything. He takes everything. He's like opening the fridge, eating the food. And he's like, "Uh, do you have alcohol?" And the bodyguards there, like, "Uh," and he okay, and he, he goes, "Oh fuck!" He starts drinking the alcohol. And you're like, "Oh my god, this guy's unprofessional!" And then he and then he goes into the bathroom and he turns on the tap, and his face is just like, "Oh my god, you have running water!" Like it's such a luxury to have running water. And then he just starts stealing. He's like, fuck this soap. And then what he does is he goes into the bedroom. He takes a pillowcase off a pillow and he starts like pillaging all the shit. (laughs) He starts putting all the shit in the pillowcase to steal it because he's poor. And the thing is the bodyguard sees this. He don't care because they don't care. Um, So I thought that was kind of funny. But you know what? If you live how the bodyguard, uh, sorry, uh, how how Detective Thorne is living, you'd kind of like do the same shit too. Um, And so you know, he steals, he steals the food. Like he steals the food that they just brought the beef, the lettuce, the tomatoes. I think there was like an apple that he took as well. Like he just, he just picks up everything. 
and fucking just like pillages it, which I thought was funny. Um, so the, the there's like uh, guys in black that come in that like cover the body and 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 take the body and um, they ask. I think it's Detective Thorn. Where are you taking the body? And the guys say outside the city to the waste disposal plant. And then you're like, oh, okay, that seems a bit like weird. Like there's no burials or anything, but you don't still quite know what's going on. And then Detective Thorne goes, hey, can I get a, a, a lift home? And the guys are like, yeah, sure. And the next shot is is him jumping off of a, a literal garbage, garbage truck. truck and walking to his apartment. And you're like, oh, my and then right again, showing, not telling, it's like, wait, these were the guys that just picked up the body. He's asked to get a lift home. Oh, my God, they're putting bodies in a garbage truck? Like, fuck. That, that's really fucking fucked and fucking disturbing, if I might add. Uh, yeah, no, I actually, uh, first of all, first of all, when, when Charlton Heston shows up to the rich guy's apartment and starts pillaging everything, I'm like, I really had a problem with that for like 30 seconds. But then I was like, you know what? This guy lives in squalor. Everybody's fucked. You go ahead. You take everything. You take everything you can. And also, when the guy with the crowbar comes in to kill the old guy, to kill the old man, I'm like, um, why would he do that? Unless this old guy knew something about the way that the government was run. And then I got to thinking. And then when the when the when the coroners when the coroner guys come in who for some reason are wearing black are wearing nothing but black and fucking ski masks I'm like that's strange and then when Charlton Heston asks them where are you taking the body and they and they go we're taking the body to a waste disposal plant and I'm like wait a minute what if they and right there I had a theory and I was like what if and I was like I, I, well. And, you know, Don't I'm tell not, us I'm, yet. I'm I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna say that, but that scene was very very effective to me because in that scene I started to work things out in my head and I was like, what if this was what's happening here? And I'm like, oh, yeah. this is fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> also, oh yeah. Also, I would like to point out when Charlton Heston comes back home, mm. he literally has to climb over people yeah. that are sleeping on the stairs. Yeah, and. Every every time he does this, I'm like, how in the fuck does he not step on someone? Yeah, I know. I'm like, because they're everywhere. I know. And the other cool <laughs> the other cool thing is, I believe at the top of the stairs is a guy with a gun. Mm. And I'm like, I'm like, what the holy fuck is going? What has happened to civilization? It's just this movie is terrifying, but it's so fascinating at the same time. Yeah, I know. I know. I thought so too. So yeah, he gets home. He has to like climb over people. And then he's the old guy's there. His flatmate's there. And he's like, oh, look at what I got. And so he starts pulling out paper. And the guy and the old guy's like, oh my fucking God, paper? And then you go, wait a minute, what? They don't have paper. And every time, every time you learn something new, you're like, oh my God, they don't have paper. And he pulls out pencils and he's like, oh my God, pencils, what? I could write something. And I was like, oh, fuck's sake. And then he pulls out soap. He goes, look at this. I got soap. And he's like, what? And then he pulls out the food and he's like, look at it. And he shows him the meat and like soul, because we, I really like soul because soul is old enough to, to remember what the world used to be like. And he keeps trying to tell 
Detective Thorne. You don't understand what the what it used to be like. Everyone had run. Basically, he's explaining what the world is now. Everyone had running water. You could go to the supermarket and just get whatever the fuck you want. And Thorne doesn't get it because he that's not what the world. And he keeps saying to him, yeah, sure, Sol. And he goes, no, this is what the world is. And he's like, I fucking cannot live in this world. Like, this is bullshit because I know what the world used to be like. And so he, Sol just like went off his fucking nanas when he saw the beef and he saw all the food. He's like, fuck, I'm going to cook something, which was just like, just the elation on his face was, was, was awesome. Um, anything you want to say before I, I move on to the next scene? No, that scene that scene was extremely effective because all all throughout the movie, Saul is like one step away from losing it. So I really appreciated that in this one scene, he was able to really illustrate to to to, to Charlton Heston's character. Look, in my day, like us, if we were hungry, we just had to go to the supermarket, and I I don't like like I th- I thought this scene was really effective because. By, by Charlton Heston's character bringing all that food, he could really understand. Like, I don't think Charlton, he- I don't think Charlton Heston really understood what Saul was talking about until he got to a certain point in the movie. So I like that this scene really sort of showed him how the world used to be, and 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 yeah. really and really. It, and really gave him a, a point of reference into saying that maybe Sal, maybe Saul isn't really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a beautiful scene, by the way, at the end, we'll get to it. Um, so now we're at the police station and Thorne walks in and when he walks in, it kind of, it kind of looks like the DMV. Like it's like packed with people, like tell, talking to police. Like it's just, it looks gross. It just looks packed. It looks gross. And Thorne goes into his, uh, the chief's office and he says the guy who was killed, it wasn't random. He was he was assassinated. And the chief is like, well, how do you know that? He goes, well, nothing was stolen. The bodyguard just happened to be out and all the cameras were off. And he goes, it's the bodyguard. And he's like, he's like, are you sure? He goes, no, no. It's it, like from the start, he was like, it has to be the bodyguard. Um, just, I don't know, cop mentality thinking. Um, anyway, so the next scene is... Uh, we, again, we see like this, I don't know. It's like a, it's like an outside marketplace and it says oh, big letters on the wall. Tuesday is Soylent Green Day. And you see people lining up and people are lining up to get water. Like they've all got these massive, like 10 jugs. gallon or five gallon jugs to, 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 they're lining up to fucking get water. Like, and they're lining up to get Soylent Green. Because it's free from the government and it's food. It gives you all your nutrition, whatever the fuck it is. And you're just like, fucking hell. Like, imagine standing in like 80, 90 degree heat and like, and sometimes people didn't even get what they, what they wanted. Like, it's just like, I don't know. It's crazy. So anyway, the next scene, um, Thorne goes to the bodyguard's house because he, he has a suspicion that it's him. He goes to his house, he watches him leave, and then he goes up and he knocks on the door and his girlfriend, the bodyguard's girlfriend, um, opens the door and he's looking, he's looking around. And before he knocks on the door, the girlfriend's like eating a jar of like strawberry jam. And so she, here's a knocks on the door, knock on the door. She's like, shit. So she hides the jam. But she leaves the spoon out and she looks at the spoon when Detective Thorne comes in and she's like, fuck. And at that moment, you're like, well, why would you care? I mean, 
if the spoon is out, ah, but we find out why she cares later. So anyway, he looks around the apartment. Oh, is, is, is what's his face here? Oh, no, no, he's not here. And he's looking around, he's snooping around. He goes, oh, just uh, tell him I, you know, came by. And, oh, okay, okay. So, and you, and you kind of think to yourself, well, that was a stupid scene. But she looks down and she realizes he's stolen the, the, um, spoon with the strawberry jam on it and you're thinking why the fuck would he do that why would he steal but then you find out later on why he stole it and i just thought that was i don't know you could think of it as a stupid scene as a scene that means nothing but it means something uh uh later on so what did you think about those scenes before i i move on i thought that scene was very very effective because when thorn went to go see the old guy's bodyguard and you see the bodyguard's girlfriend eating a substance. I wasn't really sure what it was until the scene, until the scene progressed and I figured out, Oh, it's just strawberry jam. I thought it was like some sort of, uh, illegal narcotic, but you know what? As the scene went on, I, I, I was like, I bet you he's going to steal the spoon because, uh, all throughout, all throughout this movie, the director has done something wonderful. He has done, the thing that Dean and I preach on this podcast, show, don't tell. And as, as Thorne is going through the apartment, the director takes a second to move the camera to show the spoon. And I'm like, he wouldn't show the spoon if the spoon wasn't important. So when Thorne leaves the apartment and the, girl, and, the, and the guy's girlfriend is looking for the spoon, the spoon is gone. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's why I showed the spoon. So I thought that was very, very interesting. And it also it also shows that Thorne is consistent throughout the entire movie because no matter where Thorne goes, he's like a little kleptomaniac. He takes everything that he can get his hands on. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I'm like, and I'm like, Hey, you're a cop. You're within your own right. Take your, take your shit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the next scene I love because it's so heartbreaking and it's Thorne and his flatmate soul eating dinner. And it's like, they're eating like a buffet of of this beautiful food but soul puts down a plate in front of thorn and it's literally two leaves of lettuce two two leaves of lettuce that's that's it that's all that's on the plate and they sit down opposite each other and they feel like that and you're just like oh my fucking god like it's it's actually like quite heartbreaking and so they're eating the lettuce going oh this is so nice and i'm like i don't even know like what the fuck that would be like and then um soul made some stew out of the out of the uh beef and it's literally like one little dollop each because there wasn't much of it and they eat one apple each and and it's just like and they're i like this scene because they're so happy and they're so joyous and it's just like the simple things you know like no matter what's going on around you the simple things are making them happy. Eating one leaf of lettuce and eating a little bit of beef and an apple is making them so fucking happy. And I just, I just loved that scene. Yeah, my favorite, my favorite part of the scene is actually before they start eating the buffet for them. They, uh, uh, they have plastic forks, right? Yep. And Sal steps away for a second and he gets like this case. He oh, yeah. opens up the case. <laughs> And he actually has physical silverware. And I'm like, that is so cool that he actually was had silverware in the apartment and he had enough foresight to know that maybe one time in his life he was gonna eat he was gonna actually eat a meal that actually was worth something, and he saved the good china for this meal. So I absolutely love that. 
the 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 stew when i was watching this movie when i was watching this movie today in preparation for this conversation and he puts the stew on the plate i didn't know what the fuck that was so i'm like what is that because to me it looked like dirt but i had i i had forgotten that you could make stew out of meat so i'm like oh okay until just now when you said it yeah yeah um so uh the next scene is we find out a little bit of information about the guy that was killed and we find out that he was actually on the board of directors for Soylent. And you're like, ooh, he was kind of important because Soylent, as Sol says, Soylent controls uh, the food supply for half of the world. And so you're like, okay, if you're on the board of directors for Soylent, you're a pretty fucking important person. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, they had they killed him, but why would they kill him? Like he must have done something, known something, like – yeah, like he was a really quite important man. So, yeah, go, go. No, I'm thinking. You know, you know, I, you know, I was thinking throughout this movie before I did some things in my head. I mm. was thinking that, you know, this guy must have known something because big corporations like this who are willing to commit murder don't kill people all willy nilly. They do it because of a reason. So, yeah, whatever reason they had to kill this guy. Has to be fucking important. Oh, it has to be huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other look, I I really enjoyed this movie, but I really have one one glaring one glaring issue with this movie. I I was really disappointed that we didn't actually get to see a lot of the higher ups within mm. Soylent because I thought it would be I thought it would be really interesting to meet a couple of them or like five of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But but if we but if we met them, I, I I think that that would have spoiled the twist at the end of the movie. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. 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 I I agree. I agree. Um. So after after Thorn finds out this information, because Saul tells him Saul has find, found out this information through research, he gives Saul the spoon that he stole that has the strawberry jam on it, and Saul like puts the spoon in his mouth and he licks it. He's like, oh, strawberry jam. And he goes, he goes, damn, strawberries are like $150 a jar. And that's why, that's the whole thing. And so now Thorne goes, what kind of a bodyguard can afford $150 a jar for a jar of strawberry jam? Like they get paid, but they don't get paid kind of that well. So did you, what did you think about that? And $150 a jar for strawberry jam. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. When, uh, when, when we found out how expensive the, 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 the jar jam was, I was like, wait a minute. Okay. This guy is a bodyguard, like you just said, but the only reason that somebody would give this bodyguard something that expensive is because this bodyguard probably agreed to do something for someone. So you got so so you got to be like this bodyguard can't be all clean. So this bodyguard has to have some shady shit going on. Because otherwise, how in the hell did he get something that expensive? So somebody had to have wanted something from him to give him something that expensive. Yeah, exactly. So Thorne decides to go back to the fancy schmancy place to question Shell on what she knows about the the murdered guy and when he goes in she's got her i don't know hooker friends over 
Um, they look like they've ju- honestly, they look like they've just stepped out of like Austin Powers, the sky, the spy who shagged me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they looked yeah. awesome. They looked awesome. Yeah, the fashion in this movie is great. It's loud. It's great. It's so great. It's colorful and yeah. it's very seventies. Also, the yeah. way that this movie is directed wouldn't pass the the a certain agendas today because because some of the yeah. shots that they use in this movie, I'm like. Oh wow, this movie could not be made today. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, because you know, it's just great. It's just great. I'll just say that much. It's great. It is. It's great. Um, so anyway, he walks in and he's like, "Can we talk somewhere private?" She's like, "Yeah, yeah, let's go in the bedroom." And so he starts questioning her, like, "How well did you know him?" And he's like, "Oh," she's like, "No, not really well." And he's like, "Yeah, but you knew him for three years." And she's like, "Yeah, but like, he didn't really talk to me about stuff. Like, I'm just like he's." maid or whatever the fuck she is and and then she starts like undoing her hair and taking her dress off and i'm like what is she, what is she doing what's going on and then she like gets naked and gets under the covers and then he starts taking his clothes off and you're like what <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> and you're like wait what what um and then you and then i can't it's kind of at this point that you realize oh she's just she's a call girl right but it it still doesn't make sense because it wasn't implied that like he just came over to question her, but maybe that's just in her thinking because that's her job and that's what she does. It's like, oh, I sleep with men and if he wants information, obviously I have to give him something in return. So it didn't make sense, but it kind of did make sense because of her mentality and then he gets undressed and he gets into bed and they start kissing and you're like, oh, that wasn't like, I don't know, it, it wasn't, it was random. <laughs> it was no, random. Um, no, actually, no, actually, that that scene did not make that much sense for me because even if look, Thorne seems like a good guy and, and he seems like a very upright guy, except for the fact that he steals everything that he gets his hands on. But we uh, yeah. forget that because of his social class. But for him to go into a situation and hook and question someone and expect that individual to get naked and have sex with him just because is extremely unprofessional. So that scene didn't work for me because I'm like, no matter who you are, he didn't, he didn't even fucking ask her. He didn't, he didn't even ask her. All he said was get in bed and that's it. And she's, and, and she just went along and did it. I understand what her job is. I understand what her life has been like, but she's got to have some self-respect for herself, which she does later on in the movie. But still, that scene didn't didn't work for me that much because I'm like, really, it just felt so weird. Yeah, it was weird. But again, like he he also calls her a piece of furniture, so he doesn't respect her. He doesn't care. He's just like, you know, I mean, he does eventually care about her. But he does. He does. He 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 will. He will. Yeah, he will. But in that scene, yeah, that scene was a bit weird. So anyway, the the manager of the building, or as I call him, like the pimp of the girls. That guy is such a dick. I know. So he comes in and he sees all the girls sitting there, they're smoking, they're drinking, and he just starts basically beating the shit out of them. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. And then he says, and then Thorne emerges from the bedroom and he fucking confronts this guy. And he says, and the manager says, um, you know, they're breaking regulation by being here. And you're like, what? And then, and then that's when you realize, oh, so they're, they're call girls from the other apartments and they're not supposed to be there because there's regulation and blah, blah, blah. Um, and the girls, basically, they all leave and Thorn, Thorn, so Thorn confronts him and basically tells him, fucking stop what you're doing. And if you do it again, I'm going to fucking like come back and beat the shit out of you, basically, which is good character development because then you're on Thorn's side. You're like, oh, he's a good guy. Like, he's not a fuckwit. 
He's not a fucking rapist. He doesn't beat up women. And when he sees it happening, he's like, no, you're not going to do this. You're not going to come in and fucking beat up women just for sitting around talking. Like, no, fuck off. So I liked, I liked how he kind of came in and told the manager, you know what? Fuck you. Thorne, Thorne, I think, is a product of his environment. I don't, I don't necessarily, Thorne, I don't necessarily think Thorne is a bad guy for what he just did, but he is a product of the environment that he's in. Also, <laughs> kind of funny when the when the pimp came in and saw the other girls from the other apartments in there, and Thorne came out like right away. I'm like, dude, Thorne, you must have no, th- you must have no stamina because you just got into it with the girl in the other room and you just come out right now what the hell man yeah but we don't know how much time has passed right that's true that's true that's true it could have been an hour it could have been half an hour we don't know yeah but also also i really like the scene because uh when when thorn comes to investigate the guy's murder originally that's when he first meets the pimp of the building yeah this motherfucking guy is talking his fucking ear off constantly he's like one of those he's like one of those guys that you meet and you're and you're like this guy wants to be friends with this other person so desperately he won't fucking shut the fuck up so i'm really glad i'm really glad that in this instance thorn put him in his place yeah um so all the girls leave and thorn goes to leave and Cheryl wants him to stay she goes please stay i don't want to be alone and he's like well i don't want to stay i've got a job to do i can't you know i can't stay and so she tries to convince him and he's like, nope, I'm not staying. I'm going. And then she says, you can have a shower. And he stops and he turns and she's like, there's hot water. And he's like, because obviously he doesn't fucking have a shower. He doesn't know. He's like, I don't know when the last time I fucking had a shower was. And he's like, <laughs> and this is so funny. He looks at her and goes, can we turn on the air conditioning? <laughs> <laughs> like all sexy. And she's like, hell yeah, we can turn on the air con. And he's like. Oh. Okay, I'll stay, I'll stay, I'll stay. And I was like, oh my god. Again, the little luxuries. The little luxuries. Um also and uh, yep. also I just wanna I just want those bit in there. She also says that she'll give him a rub down after they take a shower. Oh yeah, and that sweetens the deal. <laughs> yeah. That sweetens the deal. So um she she tells him that because when he was questioning her, the only thing she said was basically he went to church twice and he spoke to a priest. That's 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 it. I don't know what he said. He spoke to a priest, whatever. This is the church he went to. That's all the information she knows. So after that scene, he goes to the church. And, well, actually, when he goes to the church, he sees, and it's really heartbreaking, he sees a kid that's like maybe like five, four, five years old sitting out the front kind of crying. And it's it's this kid is tethered to this, what I assume is the mother, and the mother's just died. And, and it's, it's heartbreaking just because of that, but it's also heartbreaking because Thorne just unties the, the tether that they've got. They've just got rope attached to them kind of cause, so they don't lose each other. And he just lifts up the child, walks into the church and gives it to the nun, like so nonchalantly. But the reason he does that is because like you said, he's a product of his environment. He must see that every single fucking day. And when you see something every day, you get desensitized to it. Like you just, it's not that you don't care. It's just that you've seen it so many times. And again, it's like character development for him. Like he's not an asshole. It's just that, and it shows this happens a lot. This happens every day that he's just like, he's another kid. He's, he's, he's this person. He's that person. Like, I just, you know, I just don't have emotion for this anymore. So when he goes into the church 
he finds a priest. And this priest is the coolest looking priest I've ever seen. He's got, he's a black guy. He's got an Afro. He looks like he's from the seventies, but he just, he just looks like a fucking awesome priest. And he, but he's sweating and he's kind of, it looks like he's taken some sort of narcotic, but he hasn't. And he's sort of looking around everywhere and he doesn't really, and Thorne's trying to ask him questions. And every time he answers is like in a riddle and you're like, what the fuck is up with this guy? And so he's asking him again. He's questioning him. He's like, yeah, I remember the rich, the, that guy, the rich guy, Simonson, I think his name is. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. And he just doesn't know what to say. And Thor's like, did he confess something to you or not? And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. He, 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 but he, he won't tell him. And he just looks fucked up. He looks fucked up out of his mind. But you know he's not on drugs. He's just fucked up because of the situation. And he won't tell him. He goes, what did he confess to you? Like, he's dead. You can tell me. No, no, not telling you, not telling you. And so you figure, fuck, what did this guy confess to this priest? Is it really that bad that it fucked this guy up? Like, yeah. So anyway, your thoughts. No, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. The priest has to know that if he if he tells Thorne, Thorne is dead. And the priest has to know if he opens his mouth, he's fucking dead too. So he has to know this. But I but I have a problem with that scene because when Thorne goes in to talk to this priest, Thorne has to know that whatever this guy knew, he has to know that it's bad. And for him to think that at, for for him for for Thorn to for Thorne to think that nobody's gonna ask any questions as he goes through this in, as he goes through his investigation, that is really, really uh um uh, uh naive on his part. So I so so I don't know what Thorne was hoping to get out of this priest. I, I don't know if he was hoping to get the absolute truth, because here's the thing. No matter what you tell your priests in real life, priests are sworn to a level of secrecy with people. So I I don't know I don't know what Thorne was hoping to get out of this priest, but uh, that's why the scene didn't really. I thought I thought that it could have been done better. Um, the other thing the, the other thing that I thought was very very affecting was when before. Th- Thorn went into the church when we see the little boy tethered to his mother dead on the ground. I was like, this is awful. <laughs> that's just, that's just atrocious. But again, the director does a great job of, 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 of physically showing us how bad it is and not telling us. And that is just great storytelling in my, uh, in, in, in my estimation. Yeah. Look, I think, I think Thorn didn't, think it was going to be that bad. I think he thought maybe it's money laundering. Maybe it's, maybe he slept with one of the other director's wives. Like, do you know what I mean? Like something, people kill people over a lot less than what this guy was killed over. So he probably didn't think it was anything that fucking bad. Yeah. But let me, yeah, but let me ask you this, but Thorne at this point knows that this guy, that, 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 that the, that the murder of the guy that he's investigating, he knows at this point that that guy was pretty high up in the, in, in the, in the structure of the government. Right. Yeah. So if he are if he knows that, he he should have an inclination that whatever this guy knows and whatever this guy said to this priest has to be bad. I don't I don't know how for me it's impossible for Thorne to think this is something petty. 
So I I don't know. It just it, it, it just quite didn't work. It just it it just didn't fit for me uh, right. the way it did for you. Yeah, but in real life, like if that happened in real life, which it does, like the the detective still has to investigate. Like they still have to do their their job. They can't just leave right. it. Like they have they have to know. No, yeah. So he was just, you know, again, I think he knew it was bad, but I didn't think he knew it was what it fucking was, which is like so fucking bad. (laughs) Yeah. No, no. What it is, what it is, is terrifying. It's terrifying. Um, So moving on, uh, he goes back to the police station and he goes and and talks to his chief. And his chief says to him, I want you to sign this piece of paper that says it was a random attack and not an assassination. And Thorne goes, but it was an assassination. He goes, yeah, but I need you to sign this anyway. And he looks at his he looks at his chief, and he goes, they got to you. And he goes, man, come on, just fucking sign it. I don't want any shit, you know. And he's like, no, I'm not covering it up. Like I'm not, I'm not. He goes, I'm not going to fucking lie. Like if they're coming to you trying to cover it up, like that just motivates Thorne to find out what the fuck is going on and how they got to the chief and what they offered him and all this shit. He's like, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not fucking doing this. And so the next scene, the big corporate dudes um, are having a secret fucking rendezvous meeting and they're concerned about the priest. They're like, look, we know he told the priest the, the confession, the secret that nobody has, nobody, nobody should know. Um, will the priest talk? And obviously the priest is not going to talk, but they can't take that risk. Um, so they're talking about what they're going to do about the priest. Um, and they're also talking that they're fucking pissed because they find out that Thorne's not going to drop the case and he's going to pursue it. And so they're trying to figure out what the fuck are we going to do about this? Thoughts? I really, I really do not like Thorne's boss because Thorne's boss is just a fucking weakling. I thought that he was the most unlikable police chief ever. But again, but again, we have to understand that these people are de- are doing the best they can with the awful situation that they're in. So I don't blame him for bending the knee to this evil corporation and doing what they wanted. Because he had, again, he has to know if he has to think that if that that if he doesn't do what this corporation wants, they can come down on his head. And they can ruin his career mm. and Thorne's career, yeah. and they can yeah. ruin everybody's career because these people are basically like a dictatorship. They run yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. Yeah, and also, also, I love when when one of the big wigs of this corporation is having the conversation with this hitman, and the hitman is sort of, you know, explaining to him like he just said, Thorne is not going to drop this case. He already talked to the priest. What do you want me to do? And I love that this guy, this bigwig, doesn't say it outright. He just says, I want you to do what you do and just get it over with. He doesn't say it. But the hitman knows exactly what this guy wants. And I just love that. I love that these mm. guys have so much power, but they're, yeah. but, they're still afri- but they're still afraid to say what they really want to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the next scene is the bodyguard. He walks into the church and he walks into the confession booth with the with the with the priest that the other guy confessed to, the black Afro priest. And he says, Bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been six six months since my last confession. And then he pulls out a pistol and shoots him in the head point blank. Or dead. He's got a silencer on, so nobody knows he did it. And then you're like, whoa, like what the fuck did this guy tell this priest that they're fucking killing a fucking priest? 
Like, Jesus Christ. That's like, that's fucking, yeah. Did you, did you find that scene? Did you know that that was going to happen or were you just like shocked? No, uh, I, at this point, at this point, I had, I had pretty much put together some theories in my head and I knew that I knew from the previous scene when this, when this guy was talking to one of the head up, when, when this guy was talking to one of the heads up in Soylent, I knew that what this guy wanted him to do wasn't going to be good. But at this point, I already knew that these guys were so, so desperate to keep, to, to keep the civilization in control that they would do anything. So I knew that murder was not off the table. I, I do, I do want to say one thing, though. After this guy kills the priest, I really wish that the director would have held on the scene for a minute and, and sort of had an extra come in, scream, and then cut to the next scene. Because I, 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 thought, it, I thought it would be really cool for, like, to hear a scream or to hear a reaction from somebody who stepped into the, stepped into the confessional wanting to talk to the priest and, you know, found him dead there. I thought that would have been really cool. But the director didn't do that. He just went on to the next scene. So now we're at the marketplace, which is like an outside massive, like the where the people were standing in line getting water. And now you see a little bit more of the markets. There's people, there's basically like a bartering system that goes, uh, that's going on. And you see people selling shoes made from tires, which is actually quite fucking ingenious. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of fun. And they're selling Soylent Yellow, which is, which we now know is made from um, soybeans. And people are buying bags and bags of Soylent Green because Tuesday is Soylent Green Day. Um, and Thorn is there and he's got this like riot helmet on and you realize he's been demoted to riot police at the markets because he's basically gone against what his chief wants and they've demoted him. And basically he's there to keep the peace of the marketplace. So uh, there's one woman that gets her soylent, whatever, green, yellow, red, whatever it was, and she's screaming, it's a ripoff. Like, I'm getting half of what I used to get. Like, and she's just screaming, it's a ripoff, you know, people should rise up. And then what happens? Two fucking cops come and arrest her just for saying something basically against the government, right? Which is, again, scary because that's, that's not, not too yeah. fucking far off. No, but I was like, no, but when I when when uh, when this scene was uh, going on, when I was watching the movie today, and when that lady stepped out against the price of Soylent Green and other Soylent products, and she got hauled away by the police, I'm like, oh, that sounds familiar because I know somebody who mm. lives in the government that would do something like that. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah, and they have, <laughs> I, and they have. <laughs> yeah. What, so that yeah, was like I, that was blast yeah. from the past. Yeah, um, but I do, I, I do just want to uh, say one thing though. The yeah. riot gear helmets that the police wear, <laughs> they look like old style 50s football helmets. Yeah, that's I know. Gridiron helmets. Are. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, what that's I thought. What they <laughs> are. Yeah, they do. I thought the same. Um, so, where are we? Yep. Screaming, it's a ripoff. Um, so, a policeman gets on the speaker and he says, There's no more Soylent Green. We've run, run out. And there's still hundreds of people waiting to get their Soylent Green. And the people start fucking rioting. Which, rightly so, it's the only food that, like, the government provides the food and they can't even provide enough of it for everybody. I mean, it's just so fucked. Um, so they start rioting. And this is, I actually chuckled at this. So they've got something called scoop trucks, which look like a, um, 
like construction trucks and they've got a big scoop on the front. And what they do is they go through the crowd and they scoop people up and they just like put them in the back of the truck like they're dirt, like they're garbage. Like it's really distressing. Like I giggled, but I was like, oh my God, like the government does not give a fuck. It's like people are riding. I don't, we don't give a fuck. And again, it's similarities to what has happened in the last couple of years is actually terrifying because similar stuff happened. And I'm just like, Jesus, this movie could be like, I mean, if, 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 if people had watched this movie before everything happened within the last like two to three years, like, and then it happened, like this movie was like a precursor to like, what 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 is going to happen like it was just just all these trucks like lifting these people up putting them in the back like garbage like it was just like it was fucked it was so fucked yeah i know and when that happened i'm like wait you know when when the sweepers come out because they call them sweepers they don't necessarily call them garbage trucks but it's so distressing because by this scene not not only seeing the poor woman being hauled away because she started she started complaining about the prices of soil and green but the fact that these government people are actually sweeping up people and putting them into garbage trucks, I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, why aren't they killing these people? Because if the government doesn't care about these people, which they obviously don't, why not just kill them or beat them to death? Why are they sweeping them, sweeping them up and taking them, putting them into the garbage trucks? Are they taking them somewhere? So when that happened, I'm like, wait a minute, my theory might be right. And then... I just said, okay, if 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 it is what I think it is, it's going to be amazing. O- off you go. So, um, so after that, so so Thorn is there and he's kind of trying to keep the peace, not not working out for him. And the guy with the um, carpet crowbar, he's there with a pistol, and he's 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 trying to kill uh thorn but obviously he can't. There's people running everywhere. He tries to shoot at him, and Thorn is like sees him and he's like, oh fuck. Um, so, but eventually they, they get into a scuffle and then he pushes, he pushes him or he gets the, 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 the crowbar guy gets, gets pushed under one of the scooping trucks and gets like smushed so <laughs> by stupid. the scoop. So stupid. And I was like, oh, so okay, stupid. cool. Um, no, I also, also, I, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I just want to, yeah. I, I just want to, I just want to just, uh, s- say one thing here. If this guy, if this guy wanted to kill Thorn, why in the hell didn't he force his way through the people, and why didn't he get close to him? For God's sakes, like what, what purpose, what purpose does it serve to shoot wildly into a fucking crowd, hoping that you're going to hit the guy that you want to get? That was so stupid. That was the one. That was the one part in mm. the script where I called, yeah. "Oh bullshit!" You know, the 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 writer of this movie has constructed this movie in such a such a prestige and such a methodical way so far that I was really disappointed that he sort of turned off his brain for this one section of this movie because it was so <laughs> dumb. Yeah, I just thought that's so I know, I agree. I was like, no, nah, that's pretty fucking stupid. Um, so then Thorne goes to the bodyguard's house and the bodyguard opens the door and he basically beats the shit out of him. They beat the shit out of each other and he tells him, if anybody else tails him, I'm going to fucking come back and I'm going to fucking kill you because he knows the bodyguard is involved. He knows he doesn't have proof, but he knows it. So he beats the shit out of the bodyguard and he's just basically like, you know, tells him, do not have anybody tell me I'm going to fucking kill you. Um, The next scene pushes the story forward um, a little bit more. So the older guy, Saul, 
he goes to kind of like his lawyer friends. They're in like kind of like a derelict library. Um, they're they're, re- they're a bunch of researchers, so they've they're they're very kind of they're they're smart. They're intelligent. So I he goes they were to judges. The, Sorry, I yeah, I thought I, they, I thought they thought were they lawyers. Were yeah, but they may have been judges. Yes, I I wasn't judges. sure on that. Yeah, yeah, because. Because I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Sal brings up the case, and, yes. and the judges, the lawyers say, "Okay, this sounds all good, but in order for us to move against the company that runs Soylent Green, you have to get us proof because we can't do shit without proof." Yes, because yes, you're gonna, right. Yeah, because if we, I, 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 I don't know if I don't know if they say if they say this, but they certainly imply this. If we mm. come, if 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 we come with certain accusations against Soyla Green, they're going to kill us. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, I think that that's what it was. I think I just fucking, I don't know, my brain was somewhere else. But, yeah, I think you're right on that. So um, Sol's reading a piece of paper and that they gave him. And he he's basically like uh, he doesn't believe what he's reading. And we don't know what he's reading. But he said, but the, he goes, I don't believe it. And the people there say, no, it's true. And he asks, but why are they doing this? And she says something interesting. She says, because it's easier. More to the point, it's expedient. And you're like, what? And you still go, what What are they doing? Like, what is easy? What is expedient? And then she says what you just said, but they need proof of what the Soylent Corporation are actually doing or otherwise they cannot move forward. So, Whatever this is, whatever Saul is reading off the piece of paper, this is the secret that the rich dude got killed over. This is the secret. This is what he confessed to the priest. And so now you go, okay, it's big, but now it's really fucking big. So what did you think about that? Or, yeah, what did you think about I thought, I, I thought that was great. I thought that was absolutely great. But my one, but my one problem with the thing is, why would the Soylent Green Corporation allow something that big to be held in a public library. If if Soylent, if the Soylent Green Corporation was going to do something so horrific, why wouldn't they burn it out of the public record to make it that much that much harder for anybody who may be asking questions about it to find? I understand that it's kind of writer's convenience, but still, I was like, he found this a little bit too easily because it was just like lying... Like, didn't didn't one of the judges give the thing, give the smoking gun to Saul, or did he find it? So it was so when Thorne was stealing all that stuff, he stole research books about the Soylent Company, oh, and okay, okay, yeah, he gave them to from the rich dude's house. Now he, um, how do I put this? So nobody really knows how to read, right? Only rich oh, people know right. how to read. And Saul knows how to read because he's old school, but Thorne doesn't know how to read. So that's why they didn't erase it because nobody knows how to fucking read. Oh, okay, okay. I forgot I, I forgot that key part of information. Okay, okay. Yeah, so this book isn't available. It was in the rich guy's apartment. Like it was supposed to be like nobody takes it out. Nobody can read it anyway. So that's why they thought. And you know what? It just goes to show like when you're a corporation or an elite, like you just, you're so cocky. You're just like, well, they're never going to catch me. I'll just fucking leave it. But yeah, I agree. Like they should have like just in case, like destroyed like all the evidence of anything, but they didn't think anybody would read it because nobody can, you know, fucking read. So anyway, Fawn gets home to his shitty apartment and he finds a note from Saul. 
that says, Thorn, I'm going home, Saul. And then Thorn knows exactly what he's done and fucking Thorn fucking guns it out of the apartment. And now we see where Saul is. He's walked into this huge, it kind of looks like an auditorium. He's standing in line. It's very, very white. It's very clean. Uh, we very don't know sanitary. where he is. Very sanitary. Uh, we don't know where he is. He goes up to the counter and the man at the counter asks him a few questions. What's your favorite color? What's your favorite music? And he says, my favorite color is orange. My favorite music is, you know, classical. And then Saul says, I get the full 20 minutes, don't I? And the guy goes, of course. And you're like, what? 20 minutes of what? So he gets, he, Saul gets led into a room with a comfy bed and he, he lies in the bed and the covers are pulled up and there's two people standing there and they're giving him drinks and the lighting in the room is orange, which is his favorite color. Um, and you're still like, what? So the people leave the room. Uh, the people waiting on him, they leave the room and then they press a button on the side of the bed and they leave. And a big screen in front of him starts playing like a projector. And it's these beautiful images of flowers, of nature, of, 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 of sea creatures, of underwater forests, lakes, oceans, like just everything that we can see today, just stepping out of our house, like he was watching all these beautiful images. Thorn gets there. He runs in. He's like, I'm a cop. Where the fuck is he? And he sees him from a viewing room. So behind glass. And he's like, I want to speak to him. And so the guy goes, all right. So presses the speaker button. Um, and he says, he says, Saul, I'm here. And then Saul says, I've lived too long. I love you, Thorn. And you're, and you're sitting there like, is this like a, wait a minute. It's like a, like a like a euthanasia thing like is it like and you're just like wait wait what the fuck and then it's such a beautiful scene because thorn is watching these beautiful images of a world he never knew a world he's never seen he sees deers running he sees mountaintops i mean he sees buffalo he sees all this stuff rivers oceans like and saul saul says i told you because thorn never believed him I told you. And then Thorn has got these these tears in his eyes and he's like, I never knew this existed. I, I, I'm sorry I didn't believe you. I know. And he's just like crying at all these beautiful images of what the world used to look like and there's nothing like that now. But Saul remembers it. So, And then Saul says, um, I have something to tell you. Uh, and But we don't hear what he tells him. And, but you see his face. You see Thorne's face drop and he's just like, what? And he, Saul says, you have to prove it. Tell me you have to prove it. And then um, Saul's eye clo- eyes close and then he dies. They and don't actually, they, uh, they don't actually close. They, they, they stay rigid, I think. Oh, they just they stay open. Right. So, But he dies. Um, so the two people that were waiting on him, they come in, they're all dressed in white robes and they, they cover him and then they wheel him out, um, of the room. But before I go any further thoughts on that scene, this is my favorite scene of the movie. You know why? Oh yeah. Because I, for, Mm. I, for, since, since I've been an adult and since, and since my brain grew into my head, I have been an advocate for people who are terminally ill to have the option to do euthanasia. I'm like, if people know that they're going to die and they have no other recourse, why have them suffer? If they want to die, 
Let them. Give them the opportunity. I agree. To do that. I agree. It's their it's their choice. And guess their what? Their body, guys? their choice. I agree. Yeah. And guess what? The only way that the only the only way that this option will be available is if you have no other choice. Yeah. And yeah. also and also before a person asks for this, I would run just a quick psychological maybe a test to see that they were in their right mind you know oh uh, yeah uh, yeah yeah of course but i absolutely love that this society has that now with that being said i don't love why they have it for real which we're going to find out here in a in a couple moments but i love the way that the scene is structured that is a, a big building and and really, and, and and um the hat on the ground as to what this building is, when Saul first goes into the building, you notice that there there are no young people in the building. There are there are a bunch of old people. Old people yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So I'm like, what the I'm like, this can't be like a nursing home. And yeah. as as Saul, you know, fills out the paperwork and and these two people in the white robes, I'm like, this is like like before he was let into the room, I was like, wait a minute. And I, I didn't say it because because I didn't want to say it. Because I, I, I thought if I would have said it, I'm like, watch, there's going to be something else. And when it turned out to be what I what it was, I kid you not, I'm not lying. I stood yeah. up and applauded. I was like, oh, oh my wow. God, that's great. Oh, wow. I absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely love this. And, and also, but my favorite moment of this scene is when Charlton Heston speaks to Saul and he sees the images on the projector of things that he's never seen. Like you mentioned, he sees deers, he sees mm-hmm. oceans, he sees flowers. And the emotion that Charlton Heston just gives in this one moment is just beautiful. I love this yeah. scene for so many fucking reasons. It's just, it's great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's my favorite too. Yeah, it's amazing. It's my favorite scene of the entire movie. And that's saying something because what we're about to get is fucking earth shattering. Yeah, because you realize, and and it's even sadder because you realize why Saul did that, because he's the proof. He knew that if like that you were never going to get proof, but if he left the note for Thorn, he knew Thorn would come and get him. He knew he would speak to Thorn before he died, and he knew that if he told Thorn, that Thorn was going to do exactly what he did now. So he basically died to get Thorne the proof that he needed to stop what was happening, which is sad, but it's also, you know, uh, an attest- testament to the character and the type of person that that soul actually is. It's also, so, it, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, if I, if I yeah. could just, uh, just say yeah, one yeah, more yeah. thing here. Yeah. It's also extremely noble. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, oh, because, yeah. because it's a giant sacrifice because, yeah. like you just said, if Saul didn't do this, there's no way in hell anybody yeah. would have. There's no way in hell anybody would have believed. Anybody would have believed Thorn. He would yeah. have had to turn over heaven and earth, and in yeah. that process, he would have probably died anyway. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, when they wheel out the body of Saul, Thorn runs out of the building, and he runs down a little kind of alleyway, and he runs into a basement area. And he sees the bodies of the people who have just passed away in the building. Um, they're all covered in white sheets. Um, being, again, it's so disturbing, being loaded into the back of garbage trucks like fucking trash. It's so disturbing. <laughs> like It's like, whatever, you're a body, nobody cares. It's like there's just no respect there at all. So anyway, 
Um, Thorn basically sneaks onto one of the trucks. He climbs at the top. He climbs to the top of the truck because he wants to know where the fuck these bodies are being taken. Like he never even thought about it before, like everybody else living in the society. They don't care. They just they just want their, their food and whatever. They don't care where the bodies go. So, yep. Do you want to say something? Uh no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just I was just thinking about something, but I can't say that. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You gotta you you gotta get there. Okay, okay, okay. So the truck enters the waste disposal plant where we know the bodies are taken, and he jumps off the truck and he sees them unloading the bodies from the trucks, and they're getting basically they're all getting dumped into one big massive hole, and it just looks so creepy. It looks creepy. It looks like a horror movie because they're all these like- bodies are, yeah. It looks like a massive grave. That's what it looks like. Yeah, but it's like all the bodies are wrapped in like these white sheets. It just looks fucking creepy as shit. And you're like, oh, like the garbage trucks back up to this massive hole in the ground and just just lift up the thing and all the bodies just come tumbling out into this big hole. And you're like, oh, that's just so fucked. Like it's so fucking disturbing. And so he goes, okay, so he walks around like – he. I think he walks down some stairs and walks around the side and he sees – um, into the plant and he sees the bodies on a conveyor belt so obviously when they go into the hole they go into a conveyor belt one by one on in the white covered in the white sheets and then he's like okay and then he follows the conveyor belt and the conveyor belt go- leads into this big pool area so they just get dumped into this massive massive round pool like a pool of water and he's like what the fuck and you and you're looking at it like what like still wrapped in the fucking sheets and then he goes all right so he keeps going on and then he goes to the other side of the pool where the conveyor belt is coming out and he looks at the conveyor belt and he sees the soylent green cubes and he looks back and he looks forward and then it fucking dawns on him he realizes what the fuck is going on and he, you can see in his face that he doesn't believe it because he keeps looking back going, no, that can't be right. No, like, wait a minute, did I miss a section? Was there a section in between? Like, wait, how are they bringing bodies in here but making Soylent Green in the same factory? Like, you can see all this shit ticking in his head. And then someone spots him and he basically um, escapes um, to find people at his place waiting for him and they're trying to kill him because they know he's seen it, they know he knows. Um, so he calls his chief and he goes, this is this is where I am, but he's running away, people are shooting at him, and then and he runs into the church and the bodyguard is there that's shooting at him. And Thorn, Thorn gets shot um, as he's in the church, uh, but he grabs a knife and he stabs the bodyguard and they kind of had to have a tussle. Uh, yep, and then Thorn stabs him. And then you see his chief run in and fucking Thorn is like bleeding out on the floor. And his chief runs in and Thorn looks at him and he can't even talk. And chief's like, come on, we need an ambulance. We need someone to fucking come in here. And he goes, I, Thorn goes, I have proof. I have proof. I have proof. And his chief is like, a proof of what? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? You're shot. Listen, you just don't talk. And then he says it. He says, I have proof. Soylent Green is made out of people. And his chief just looks at him and he says it again. Soylent Green is made out of people. And basically that's it. 
that's the end. It just fuck. That's the end. Fucking ends. That's it. And you're sitting yeah. there like, fuck. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, at the point, at the point where you know, you know, Saul is dead, and we see him put onto the garbage truck, and we see Charlton Heston, you know, get on one of the garbage trucks and go to the waste disposal. At that point, at that point, I knew where they were going. And every second I was like, yes, 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 you got to get. I was so excited for him to find out what the hell Soylent Green was because I, in truth, had figured it out like half an hour ago. And I was like, oh, my God, I cannot wait until he gets there. And you're right. His reaction when he sees the 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 bodies being thrown into this bat and when he looks at and when he looks at the conveyor belt and he goes conveyor belt bodies conveyor belt bodies I was like i was like get there get there get there get there and when he finally gets there the look on charlton heston's face is absolutely priceless it is great it is a look of non-belief and horror it is just wonderfully wonderfully acted on his part here's the thing though when he goes you know you know when he escapes you know as he's going through the plant I'm like, why aren't there security cameras everywhere in this plant? Like, how how do how did the Soylent Green people know that it was Charlton Heston's character who invaded the plant? How would they know? How would they know that? Because they because as as Charlton Heston's character is walking through the plant, there are no cameras anywhere, or we don't see any cameras anywhere. So I thought that was a little bit of a writer's convenience thing. And no, also, I don't think I don't think sorry. Um they I don't think they knew that he saw. I think they're trying to kill him because he won't drop the issue. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So 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 you think that they're trying to kill him for a completely different reason? Because they've been trying to kill him for half the movie. Right. Because right, right. because they they're scared he will find proof and he will find out what right. what what is going on. I think that's what it is. The other thing, the, the other thing. Mm. The final moment of this film, when Charlton Heston repeats it, he says, Soil in the Green is people. Soil in the Green is people. I want to ask you a question. What is to prevent this corporation from killing everybody in this church and from killing Charlton Heston? So I believe that when, when this movie ends, I believe that they don't take Charlton Heston to get cured. He dies and he becomes Soil in the Green. And to cover up this whole thing, this organization, I mean, this is conjecture at this point, but this organization kills everyone in that church and Charlton Heston's police. And they and they cover it all up and everything continues the way it does. Now, that is conjecture. But what do you think about that? Um, I think uh, I think this movie is great. I the only thing I didn't like I like the way that they ended it where he's like Soylent Green is people and then it ends but what I would have liked is a little bit more like yeah, does the yeah. corporation get taken down like yeah, do they that. yeah so yeah so I I I had conjecture as well I would have loved us to to real for him to realize that maybe halfway through the movie and then the other half of the movie is him taking is him trying to figure out how the fuck do we take this corporation down and then once he's taken the corporation down start to rebuild society 
start to figure out, okay, how, because obviously there's no more Soylent. So like, okay, do you know what I mean? Like making society a little bit better. I would have liked that. Listen, if there's any movie that, that, that needs a remake, remake. it's this one because it could be done so fucking well. And I don't know why they don't do it. No, I was, you know, you know, I was, you know, as, as writers often do, I mean, you can attest to this Dean because I'm sure, I'm sure you have done this. We sit and we watch old movies and we sit there sometimes going, I could, I could make this into a reboot and I would make it awesome. Oh yeah. I do that a lot. (laughs) And I kid you not, as I was sitting there watching this fantastic movie, scaring the shit out of me, having theories fly left and right on my brain, I'm like, I could totally remake this, but not into a movie. I could make this into a miniseries. And oh yeah, I, I would have, I, I would have, I would have gone down the path that you just suggested. I would have had uh, Charlton Heston's character figure out what was happening midway through the movie, and had the rest of the episodes have him trying to figure out how he's going to fix this and how he's going to hold the Soylent Green Corporation accountable. So, mini se- okay, mini series, Soylent like Green, sh- ten episodes, maybe like maybe yeah. ten to twelve episodes. Ten, we'll do ten episodes. Ten episodes, mini series, Soylent Green on either HBO because they've got good writers, or HBO. Amazon because they also have good writers. Anything yeah. else you can piss or maybe Paramount, but honestly, like that would be fucking awesome. So if anybody from HBO is listening, we're here. <laughs> We're I'll we're here it. and I'll we're ready. We're it. ready to do it. <laughs> that's, 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 actually, actually, you know what? We'll uh, we hey HBO. We'll we'll write it together. <laughs> yeah, we'll write it together. That's it. We're ready. We got it. Also, also, uh, I, I like the ten episode idea, but I would actually go for thirteen. Just okay, a little bit more. Yep. Just yep. a little yep. bit more. Yep. Um, but with that being said, I do have a question for you. Mm. How do you think society got this bad? Like, like. What do you think? I mean, I'm not going to, I mean, I mean, I don't want you to give me a thesaurus, but just give me a really short, concise answer. How do you like, think society got this bad? Like in the movie? Yeah. In the movie. Yeah. Well, it's said that the science, that the scientists killed all the animals, killed the, uh, killed everything in the ocean, killed the soil. They couldn't grow anything. They couldn't do anything. And so the government had millions and millions of people. And it's like, well, what, what do we do with people? Like it got that bad because the government don't give a shit. And even if the scientists did poison stuff, like there's, they could remake it. They could, they could, you know what I mean? They could, they've got genetics of literally every single animal. Why couldn't they just breed more? You know, like, do you know what I mean? Like they could bring society back, but why would they want to? They've got, they've got the people eating out of their hand. They've got, they've got complete control of the people. Yeah. They've got all the power. They've got all the power, which again is like disturbing because I feel like Jesus Christ, it's like heading that way. Yeah, it's it's tremendously disturbing. All right, guys. So uh, with that, uh, you think I was going to end the show? I'm not going to end the show. Uh, Dean, (laughs) would you like to? Would you like to go to your trivia? Sure. So the first trivia I've got is the scene where they're eating like the lettuce and the stew and stuff. That was actually not in the script. the The director told Charlton Heston to just like ad lib it. So they he just told him like, look. We, I want to film a scene of you eating it. Let's just do it. And the whole scene was ad-libbed. The whole scene. And I yeah. just thought it was such a good scene. What a good what a good director to be like, you know what, we need this in here because it brought a little bit of light to a movie that was very, very quite dark. 
So I, I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, the next piece is, sorry, did you want to say something? No, I was just getting my thought. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Excuse you. Excuse you. Excuse you. Off you go. All right. So the actor that played Sol, the old guy, he was actually almost entirely deaf. So he couldn't he couldn't hear the director yelling cut. So every time the director would yell cut, he'd keep going on with the scene. He'd have to have someone to come up to him and be like, no, 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 cut. The scene is, you know, done. Um and he couldn't he couldn't hear his co-stars dialogue. So they had to film they had to film um, so many takes so he would get a rhythm of when he's supposed to talk. Be- okay, but he actually up. couldn't hear anything. Hold up. First of all, how, why the fuck? Oh. Because There's he something- was, he, um, I, don't, I can't remember what his name is, but he's actually like an actor. So they really wanted him for this role. But when they hired him, they didn't realize he was almost deaf. I think it just okay. got progressively worse. Okay. But here's the thing. Mm. Why didn't they have a PA put a, put a, Put a put a thing in his ear, to, uh, physically telling him, "Okay, we're going to start now," and actually giving him verbal cues to an earpiece in his ear because he can't hear. Even even with the earpiece in his ear, yeah, he can't hear. He's almost entirely deaf. Can't hear. All right, okay, all right, all right. Yeah, so I thought that was good, but also the the actor that played Saul, he was actually I think he had cancer. He was actually dying. Oh, uh, wow. while they were filming that movie and, and Charlton Heston knew this. And so every day Charlton Heston would show up, he would, he would give him cheeses, wines, like all this expensive wow. stuff wow. Um, because th- this was his last movie and he actually died six months before the movie released. Oh, my. Oh, so he never, so that so he never, a, he never got to see never it. Never saw it. Nope, never wow. saw it. Well, oh, my God, the, 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 uh, the euthanasia scene now has so much more weight. <laughs> I know, I know. Wow. Oh, my God. Um, so... Yeah, my, my final piece of dialogue, which I thought is the funniest, is there is actually a real Soylent company that make really? meal yeah that make meal replacement drinks and green oh Soylent crackers, right? Oh my god, I want one. I know, me too, right? So, but the funny thing is, Canada actually banned it, banned the replacement drinks in 2017, citing t- there's too much extreme fat content. Right, but then Twitter blew up and went, "Oh, you're bullshitting! It's because it's made for people." Oh my god, <laughs> that's why you banned it because it's fucking people. Uh, which I thought was quite oh. fucking. Twitter people are f- quite fucking funny. But that's it. That's my trivia. I thought that was quite funny. The last one, I, I, I think, <laughs> I, think I, I think that piece of trivia was your best piece of trivia this whole season. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Uh huh. But um, all right, guys, that pretty much does it for this edition of the Mixtape Podcast. Uh, listen, guys, um, if any of you want to get in contact with us, if you have questions, comments, concerns, you can email us at themixtapepod at AOL.com. If we get any emails on there, we will, we will, I, I will answer you, and we will probably give you a shout-out on our beloved show here. If you guys are kind enough to come back next week, next week we'll be covering the horror classic from 1978, Halloween, directed by uh, the legendary director. Oh my god! Oh my god! Um, what the? F- Did you forget oh my- what the movie was? The night, the legendary 1978 movie. <laughs> it's Halloween, it. and it's directed it's by. Fun. I don't fucking know who's a, who it's directed by. <laughs> John Carpenter. Oh wow, oh, that's the I don't know, man. Listen, listen. Oh. 
should I should I keep it. let you letting you host or what? Are you are you pretty much done hosting? <laughs> oh my god! I'm so my, yeah, you're my, fucking my, done. You're pretty done. My brain is fine. All right, so guys. So uh, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, as I often say, if someone is kind, of, if someone is kind enough to make you a mixtape one day, that must truly mean that they love you. The Mixtape Podcast is a Balloonhead Productions presentation.